0: Podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all, every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow.
2: iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
0: Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale, extend your spine.
1: Welcome, everyone, to the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Trina. Thank you for listening. Great show today. Adnan Verk, who is the new play-by-play man for Monday Night Raw, and also worked for MLB Network, NHL Network, does some podcasts, worked at ESPN, uh, and is a huge movie fan. Got the Oscars this Sunday, if you're listening uh, before Sunday, the 20-whatever-it-is, 6th. A um, lot of talk about... His career, joining WWE, firing from ESPN, uh, bouncing back, having so many jobs, and then tons of movie and TV talk with uh, Anon. It was a very, 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 very fun conversation. So check that out in a moment. But let me first tell you that if you missed any recent episodes, if you're a gambling fan, Todd Furman was on last week. You know him if you're in the gambling world. We talked about a bunch of things related to sports betting, so make sure you give that a listen. Andrew Marchand on a bunch of sports media news two weeks ago. WWE fans listening for Adnan Verk Edge was on three weeks ago. Check that out. And then uh, Scott Van Pelt four weeks ago. If you missed any of those, give a listen in the archives. Subscribe to the SI Media Podcast, and if you can rate and review, that helps as well. All right, enough plugging. Let's get to Adnan Virk right now, right here on the SI Media Podcast. Yes. All right, joining me now. This is usually where, like, I list the jobs. But if I think I, I think if I did that, it'd be here till about May. So we'll skip it and we'll go through it when we start getting into the conversation. His latest job is the play-by-play man for Monday Night Raw WWE on the USA Network. Adnan Verk. Adnan, how's it going?
3: I'm doing great, Jimmy. Uh, first time, long time. I'm glad we finally get to catch up. Bef- you can ask whatever you like. We're going to go in different directions, but I'm going to give you my feedback first. So my favorite episodes have included Robert Flores, Lauren Shahadi, my teammates at NLB Network, Van Pizzi. Great talking about bad beats. James Andrew Miller, the HBO book. You and I share a kinship and an adoration of The Sopranos and the Larry Sanders show. It's one of the all time great shows. Out so of course underrated. I- Oh my God! I, I listen. I tell people they're like, "Wow, well, it was before my time." I go, you know, that's like Beethoven was before my time, but I can still appreciate it. Hemingway was before my time. I can go back and read *The Old Man of the Sea*. Yeah. Larry Sanders was the best. So I, uh, I'm eager to finally
1: chat with you. I hope things are well. I, I really appreciate that. It- it's always bizarre to me when someone actually listens, when I hear that someone actually listened to the podcast, I still think there's like four people listening when I do this. And, and I, I mean, and I've written a column for a sci for like, you know, 15 years. And I still think like four of my friends read it. No, one, and then someone says something to me. I'm like, oh, my God, you read it. Um, I feel
3: the same way about my own work. So yeah, I appreciate
1: it. It's bizarre. Yeah. Um, By the way, before we get going, the Sopranos guys would
3: have been the best ever. If it's any Sopranos listeners right now who are like me and Jimmy, listen to Sharippa and Imperioli when they're on Jimmy's pod. You should obviously listen to their pod talking Sopranos, but those guys were great.
1: Yeah, they were really good. That that turned out, you know, it's one of those things where you have them on and you think, what don't we know about the Sopranos? Like, what can we possibly discuss that people don't know about? You know what I mean? Um, And it's, you know. My dream interview is probably Larry David. And even with him, you know, everyone knows the show's not scripted. Everyone, you know, it's hard to get some, but I thought Imperioli and, um, and, uh, Steve Schripper. Schripper did a, yeah. they, they, they did a good job when I had them on, um, last summer. So I was impressed with that. And then Larry, like Larry, I can get into a whole thing on Larry Sanders. Um, but i just say this if, you know, I went back and rewatched it during the pandemic when we were quarantined, it holds up. Oh, yeah, definitely holds up.
3: It's one of the few shows that the finale is the best episode of the entire show.
1: They like, did have a good finale, if I remember correctly. <laughs> like Jim yeah.
3: Carrey was unbelievable yeah. that final yes. episode. Yeah. But goodbye. Like the first scene, he's like, "Should I thank God?" He's watching the clips. It ends with the three of them together, Artie yeah. and Hank. And and I never, until I started working in television, I realized how prescient that show was. Like it is so exacting from the needy insecurity and self absorption of the host <laughs> to the to the gung ho producers to the doofus sidekick. Like Conan O'Brien once said, he goes, "The best thing that show nailed is the combination of God. I love this so much and." God, I gotta get out of this. Right, like the right. way that Larry has that duality, it's amazing.
1: Rip Torn on that show <laughs> is just beyond brilliant. Just one of the best. One
0: of if the you, best.
3: If you best Google Rip Torn show. one-liners from that show, it's unreal. Yeah. And yeah. and Jud tells great stories about obviously. Work yes. You guys.
1: Um, it, you know it's funny. We'll get into all the sports stuff and Raw and everything else and all your other jobs. But since we're on this topic, I'm just curious because you do have the the movie podcast. Yeah. It's in a file that Nonverk, and I guess it's going to the Lebitard, the new Lebitard startup. Do you have the same passion for TV as movies or... Is it movies first, TV second, or would you say they're like 1A, 1B?
3: Yeah, it's 1A, 1B, Jimmy. You know, growing up, I, you know, I adored Scorsese. I still do. And I said, okay, I'm going to be like Martin Scorsese. So I remember when I went to Ryerson, which was the university in Toronto, and uh, listen, being the son of immigrants, there's no way my parents were going to pay for film education. What is that? No. So my clever idea was I was going to major in radio and television arts, which I did. And I said, Robert Altman, you know, my favorite book is Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, which is about Scorsese and Coppola and. Lucas and all those directors of the 70s. And one of those is Robert Altman. And I said, that's interesting. Altman was a TV director. And then he segued to films. So I said, okay, I'll tell my parents I'm going to school for broadcasting. They're going to dream that I'm like on 60 Minutes. But I'll do the TV directing thing and go to movies. And instead... I started there and I took like, you know, a film 101 class and I was terrible at directing. And, and, you know, when people ask you for advice, I always tell them it's not necessarily what you love. It's what you're actually good at. So even though I wanted to be a director, I was actually horrible at it because I had no visual sense. And obviously, you can tell, I'm very voluble. So it's all about words rather than pictures. So I always said, OK, I'd love to work in movies. When that didn't work, I said this is a natural segue broadcasting. Of course, always been a sports fan.
1: Yeah. Um. Cause I'm more of a TV than movie guy, but the Oscars are this week. And I know yeah. you, so we'll get into all that. Let, let me, yeah. let, let's start with raw though. Cause it, it was a fascinating announcement when it came out. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I love, you know, one of my, one of my good friends who I've had on the podcast, a bunch is Kyle Brandt, And I love, yeah. I love the trajectory of someone's career. You know, he was on the real world and then days of our lives, Rome. And now good morning football. You started ESPN i mean, going through it. You covered everything there: MLB, college football, college basketball, talk shows, and now you got MLB Network, DAZN, Monday Night Raw. Did you? When 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 the Monday Night Raw thing came up, what was your first reaction?
3: I love the fact that when you say it, I'm still as astounded when you actually say those words. I'm like, I'm still dreaming, Jimmy. This can't actually be true. Um, The way it went down is, you know, Nick Khan was my longtime agent at CAA. And of course, he's now the president of WWE. And and you know, this is a relationship business. So you have a good relationship with somebody that means something. And when Nick left, you know, I spoke to him and thanked him for all he did for me and my family. I'll always be so grateful to Nick and his stewardship and mentorship. and, And I said something to the effect, hey, if there's anything for me, you know, let me know. And he was like, yeah, okay, sure. Never thinking it would come to fruition. And I, my understanding is the WWE brain trust wanted a new voice, wanted something different. And Michael Cole, who, in addition to being the voice of SmackDown, is obviously a part of the brain trust. And he was talking with my agent, Matt Olson, who in many ways is Nick's protege, and said, okay, you know, who's a guy in your roster you think might be able to do this? Okay, what about Adnan? Oh, hmm, that's intriguing. Uh, you know, has he done anything like this? As you said, a lot of things at ESPN, virtually everything. So they sent some stuff I'd call boxing into the zone, et cetera. And then I went to the audition. But to your point, it's one thing to say, oh, there's mutual interest. It's another thing that they can actually get the job. Like when right. I flew down for the audition, you've done this. We go to jobs. You go, well, hey, why not? Like, it, it, why wouldn't you at least try this? Um, But I called a few matches and and everything seemed to work out. And and when they actually called and said, you got the job, I was floored. But to your point, it's also about managing everything. We're in a very tricky time in the world in terms of COVID traveling. I have a full time job with Major League Baseball. So I was like, all right, how are we going to do this that I'm able to travel and overcome quarantines? As you can see, in the last month and a half, the world has improved immeasurably in America. As of April 3rd, the CDC said, if you're fully vaccinated, you can travel domestically without quarantining, as I am. So It's been a lot of excitement and elation mixed with uh, trying to balance all the different balls in the air. But when the news actually came to your point, um, I felt like I was jumping out of a birthday cake. It's clearly the opposite of Marilyn Monroe. But imagine, (laughs) imagine, imagine keeping that surprise. Jimmy, I told five people, my parents.
1: So tell me. So the the announcement came out a week ago. Let's see. Monday was April 12th. okay. so the, the 12th. When did you know you got the job? Was,
3: uh, so I auditioned February 5th. They told me end of February, you got the job, but then I had to get MLB to sign off in March. So that took some time, the quarantining, the vaccination. But
1: WWE basically said the job is yours if you want at the end of February.
3: Yeah. If i if I got and that right. And you kept
1: that a secret till April 12th. That's impressive in this business. That's <laughs>
3: that's what I'm about to say, Isn't it? Yeah. Like I always joking. I said, I told yeah. my parents, my brother, my wife, and one of my kids, I have four kids. I told one of them, I said, you can't breathe a word to it. So to your point in this business, that's pretty wild.
1: Yeah. Um, couple of so a couple of things on the WWE gig. Um, well, well, tell me first, what is your history as a wrestling fan? Like, sure. were you in it, you know, Saturday mornings in the in the 80s? I don't even know if you were born in the 80s and Saturday mornings when they had it on. But like, where did it start? Where did it end? Where did it pick up? Take me through that. Sure. Well, as a kid, I was
3: certainly a rabid fan. I mean, I wish my dad still had the Hulkamaniac shirts I had as a kid. But me and my brother would watch it all the time. And I'm sure anybody who has siblings listening knows what it's like to replicate moves and imitate it. And being Canadian, I mean, I'll never forget uh, the, the WrestleMania six at Skydome when it was Hulk Hogan versus Ultimate Warrior. I mean, I, I remember at the time that was like the highest rated event most fans ever at an event at Skydome. Like it was it was breathtaking what a spectacle it was. Yeah, Demolition, my favorite tag team. But like that I mean that era is unreal. I mean, particularly Hulk, Ultimate Warrior I mean Rick Flair. I mean that that whole generation of of stars, I think anybody my age loves and adores. Um, and then when I worked at the score, which was you know my first major job in Toronto, which was a national sports network, the best ratings we had was our WWE content. So we mm-hmm. actually had Robbie at SmackDown. So like I interviewed Tori Wilson, interviewed other stars when they'd come through. Now, when I worked at ESPN, obviously, I've got so many jobs, different things, as you said, you kind of move away from it. But that natural fandom and enthusiasm has never waned. And I have such respect for the operation. I know you're a fan as well. As I tell people, I go, I have a full respect and appreciation of what WWE does. I'm amazed at anybody who would not.
1: You have Give me an all-time favorite like, storyline that, that sticks with you.
3: Well, I mean, listen. Anything with Bobby the Brain Heenan, I just thought he was such a mastermind. Like, I just I was watching. I, don't watch it, I go, this guy is so yeah. clever. The way he's manipulating everything. I just thought his smarts
1: was great. I mean, probably maybe he's a little, yeah. Go ahead. Probably the best to ever do it from a yeah. broadcasting standpoint. In, oh in yeah, wrestling.
3: I thought he was amazing. And that that was always interesting to me. Is like as a little guy, I wasn't saying, "Hey, I wish I was Tito Santana right. and nailing a flying form." I was more like, "Man." J- mouth of the South here. Like Jimmy's heart is unbelievable. Like right. just, I love those guys. The Ted DiBiase, right? Million Dollar Man. The way they pulled the strings. Loved yeah. all those guys.
1: And one of the things that struck me as interesting when it came out that you got the job and then, you know, because, you know, I'm a wrestling fan and then I'm sort of like, you know, covering media for SI. Sure. And one of the things that struck me that I thought was interesting and a little scary for you is, I mean, you got right into it boom monday night raw no you know a month doing this show a month doing that show maybe you know were you okay with that would you like some practice shows i know you called two matches or something like that but that's not really doing a three-hour telecast live on a monday night uh what about jumping right into it with no sort of um i don't want to use the word practice but you know, maybe a little experience under the belt.
3: No, you're right. I mean, that's why they say ignorance is bliss. I mean, uh, for obviously learned fans, they say, listen, Raw after Mania is a huge deal and you're making your debut there. I said, absolutely. But I'm of the opinion it's baptism by fire. Uh, To your point, I called a few matches off a monitor, but you're really only going to do it once you're in the chair. I can only watch other people doing it so much. So my thing is, kind of like a diet. I've still been trying to lose the same 20 pounds for 20 years, but it's not where you start. It's where you finish. So you're going to have to get to your point. Suppose I had done a month of matches that first night. It's still going to be bumpy. You're still going to make mistakes. You're only going to get better by doing it. So, um, I could certainly understand if, if they had said, hey, listen, we want you to do something else first. But at the same time, I respected the fact that clearly they had confidence in me to say, listen, you know what? Go out and get this done. And I should mention, I'm burying the lead here. The fact I'm with Corey Graves and Byron Saxton, when I knew I had those guys, I said, OK, they're really putting me in a position to succeed. Like Graves is like Herb Street. I mean, I, I worked with them. and I said, man, this guy. He can do play-by-play, and he can do color. He's a former wrestler. He knows it. Byron, again, good podcast. Yeah, I said Cora, you know, Byron, same thing. He has all the elements of great broadcasting along with fandom. So I said, okay, you know what? It is a big-time spot, but they're giving you a great team around you, Kevin Dunn producing, et cetera. And and to your point, listen, I I auditioned for the job. I mean, if, if they didn't think I was good enough to do it, they wouldn't have given me the gig. So I auditioned, they liked it, and away we go. Was there
1: any hesitation on your part or was it a yes right away?
3: Oh, yes, right away. I mean, the, the only concern I would have had is, um, as I've been joking, I've got more jobs than kids. So with four Right, boys, I want to go
1: through that. Yeah, yeah with but four you boys, know, I mean, there, yeah. there is a chance. I mean, I guess, you know, you never know, but people get thrown into that announce table basically on a regular basis. I mean, you, you know, it, even though you're the play-by-play man, there, there could end up being some physicality to it um, yeah. at some point. Intentional (laughs) or not intentional
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, to your point, anybody who's ever denigrated me, I'm sure, is praying for this moment. Like, oh, thank God, he's going to get a steel chair across his back. But to your point, night one, when Drew McIntyre got thrown to the table... I did not know that was coming. And, and you can watch the tape. You will quickly see Corey and Byron bailed. And I, as an idiot, didn't know any better. I just hung in there. mid the meantime, this Scottish warrior is landing on the table in front of me. So night two, I realized when they come, you got to run. So a little,
1: little different than being in the studio of baseball no, MLB Network in Secaucus. Right? <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. Dan yes. Plesak is not going to throw me to right. the wall if he disagrees with my opinion or Bill yeah. Ripken or whatever. So it was definitely jarring but fun at the same time. And, and to your point, when you get opportunities like this, you got to say yes. You and I know how fickle this business is. These these rarely come around. Just say yes and figure it out.
1: Now, I know Michael Cole was sort of the catalyst in getting you the job. Have you met in person, face-to-face face Vince yet?
3: I have, yeah. I met him after uh, the second show, and uh, he was great. He was really supportive. He gave good feedback. And uh...
1: Now, is he – I don't know if you want to – is he in your headset during Raw? That's I always would, what you know, we've I, heard about I would
3: Vince. say he's giving real-time feedback. Okay. So I definitely know what he's feeling, but yeah. – it's interesting. Like when when you're there, it's like as a lifelong fan. There's so much that goes through your mind when you see Vince McMahon. Like obviously, you think of him, what he's done on the air, but then off the air. Like I was I was telling my friends ago, this is like one of the great American success stories ever. Oh,
1: without a doubt.
3: Right. If you think back, like how he bet on himself with first WrestleMania, the fact what this is going into, this a like global entity. Like it's kind of remarkable. Like as I was talking to him, it's tough not to just think about all that he's accomplished. It's it's amazing. I've,
1: I've always said that if you take I've always said that if if there was going to be one documentary I want made from the sports world, yeah. yes, I'm counting WWE in the sports world. So if you're some asshole on Twitter, don't tweet me and say it's not a sport. Um, I think by far and away, the number one person for that is Vince, for me at least, I, because there's so much we, you know, in this day and age, especially, we we sort of know everything about everybody and we still don't know much about Vince. I think Simmons is, is doing something. I think they're there's something in the works maybe with Simmons doing it. I remember I spoke to Simmons when he had the phenomenal Andre, the giant doc on HBO. And, you know, I asked about another wrestling doc and he said, it, he, you know, he'd want it to be Vince. And, um, we'd love to see that one day for sure. Oh, I
3: couldn't agree more. I mean, cause just cause you said, like, I can't think of any other corporation or operation of that size and popularity where somebody's that involved day to day. Yeah. Right. Most corporations, SI or, uh, ESPN right. MLB networking we have bosses, but they're not literally day to day going through everything. I mean, that kind of passion and work ethic, I don't think it's unparalleled. I really do.
1: Now wrestling fans can be, um, let's just say they're a unique bunch because I've experienced it myself when I've had wrestlers on this podcast and I see the tweets that come in and I just can't even believe what I'm reading. Sorry
3: to jump you, but I love Edge, fellow Canadian, very well read. He read 72 books last year. He
1: was year. great. I, I Yeah, he was great. Um, but the broadcasting is very, very important to WWE fans. Yeah. And listen, I've said this a million times. Anyone who's calling anything, any play-by-play person, analyst, don't check Twitter, don't look at Twitter. Yeah. Stay away. It's not worth it. Um, but wrestling fans are sort of another level. Have you experienced any positive? I don't know if I haven't checked, so I don't know if it's been positive, negative. Sure. It's only been two weeks. So for me, I'm not going to like write a column off someone doing something for two weeks, but yeah, obviously fans don't care. Have you checked feedback? And if so, what has it been like?
3: So it's so funny. One of the, the great pieces of advice Michael Cole said to me, he goes, listen, whatever you do, please don't check social media. And yeah. I kind of nodded and he goes, no, he goes, I'm serious about this because, because no one listens and then they check it. And either way, Jimmy, it's not good. If they say you're great, well, that, that doesn't matter. If yeah. they say you're awful, that also doesn't matter. Like, there's one man's opinion, just matters. So don't yeah. don't lose sight of that. What was funny is this: I get home and I took Michael's advice to heart, and I'm talking to my wife. She's had it go, and I said, "You know, I thought I did all right. You know, I made some mistakes, certainly some stuff I'd like to get back. But but Corey and Byron were great. I think I'll get better. I thought this was good, and and I'll, I'll only really get better by watching it. So when I, I rewatch the whole show, I watched start to finish. I haven't yet for the second one, but I will. You'll say, okay, that was better than I thought. That was worse than I thought. And I think whenever you make a mistake. Again, you'd like to make zero mistakes. You want to bat a right. thousand. But if you make a mistake, don't make the same mistake twice. Just learn from it. Right. When my wife starts saying, oh, this person tweeted this. This one said well, that. I, go, no, I don't want to know this. Why would you uh, tell me this?
2: Yeah. yeah.
3: I, I called my parents, Jimmy, and they had to go same thing. Well, some good. bad. they go, yeah, your dad was checking Twitter. And I go, oh, for God's sakes. I go, it's amazing to me that when people are looking for feedback yeah. again, social media, as you and I both know, it's generally a place where people are spewing vitriol. It is not where they're saying, man, train is great. I love his stuff.
1: Right. Right. And, you know, it's and I I do think, you know, you're going to have they're going to be wrestling fans out there, uh, whether this is justified or not, who are probably just going to have sort of a negative impression of you, not even based on what you're calling, just because you don't have a wrestling background. They used to Jim Ross, you know, so right off the bat, that's so that's why you really can't take it seriously.
3: Yeah, you're right. I think that, and certainly people are going to have that impression. Like who's this interloper? Oh, he's coming from the network television world, right. coming into my domain. He doesn't know how we do things here. And you go, all right, listen, I think of the great Ernie Harwell line. Of course, the Tigers play by play guy. He said that when you start a new job, people are initially resistant and they're going to crush you no matter what, just because they're like, yeah. whatever. And he goes after you're there for a year, two years, five, whatever it is. He said, it doesn't matter if they like you or they hate you. They just get used to you. And I think ultimately what's happened there, there will be fans will say, I can't stand him, but I've been listening to him for so long. I have no choice. And and as you and I both know, ultimately you're watching the event. Like who cares who the announcers
1: are? Well, I, I, I'd push back on that a little bit only for listen on a Monday night raw. Does it matter? Like, like you said about the mistakes to me, and this goes across all sports. I've said this before. Yeah. And a a broadcaster play by push messes up a name, messes up a number. To me, that's so irrelevant. You're doing live TV three hours. There's going to be a mistake here and there. Right. Listen, you don't want to blow a game winning call. Of course. And the mistakes happen. That is not how I would judge. That's not how I judge. Brock. I mean, listen, if you're making, you know, 15 mistakes a game. Yeah. Then there's going to be an issue, but a mistake right. one or two on a name is not the end of the world. If you're doing right. a good job with everything else. Yeah. Um, but I will say on the, I push back only a little because, you know, in the case of like Jim Ross, for instance, mm-hmm. WWE probably doesn't want me mentioning this because he's an ad but like he added a lot to a lot of matches so there you can do that um but again that's a lifelong guy in the business became sort of their iconic broadcaster and but he you can add i definitely think you can add to the to the matches um which I think just takes time on, you know, in your case, and since you've been there two weeks.
3: No, no question. I'll be clear. You can enhance the broadcast. My point is only simply, as you've written in your column or said to people, you're going to watch the Super Bowl regardless, right? Right. If you like Jim Nance or not. But I I do agree with you. A great broadcast can certainly enhance the product. That's true.
1: Yeah. Now tell me, I I need... The your schedule now, give me the schedule now that you have raw because I, I know you did raw obviously two nights ago on Monday, yeah. And then you were on baseball. Uh, I, why do MLB I keep T- saying yes. baseball network? What the hell is that? MLB <laughs> network on yeah. Tuesday, that's right. And then you have all these other jobs mixed in taping pot you two podcasts, you do the movie podcast, then you have a um, GM shuffle mm-hmm. podcast. What is, I need the weekly schedule. Take me through it. Sure.
3: So um, I'll give you this week in particular. So yeah. Sunday Sunday morning was uh, my eldest son, 12 year old Yusuf had to go to his baseball game. So that was great. Came home. Other boys are nine, four and two quick Sunday brunch together. Then I balanced, take the flight, gets to Sunday night to uh, Florida raw on Monday, <clears throat> Tuesday morning, 6am flight. We're going Tampa to Atlanta. No direct that early. Atlanta to Newark land at 1030 ish. Uh, and then 11 a.m. meeting, I'm into MLB Network at 11.30. I did a show called The Rundown, me and Bill Ripkin from 3 until 4. Dan O'Dowd involved as well. Came home, taped some stuff for DAZN. DAZN has NFL rights in Canada, so I'm doing some mock drafts with the draft coming up, as you know, next week. So taped some stuff there. Everybody has a mock draft. Oh, my God, right? If You're, Everyone not, knows- if
1: you're, you're not breathing <laughs> if you don't have a mock draft. <laughs>
3: yeah. Let me tell you what's happened with the lines at 7. Okay, yeah. sure, you know. Uh, Knocked that out. And then today... Um, 8 a.m., I did some radio in Toronto. I do like radio hits. Um, at Nine o'clock at the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi. Again, we did our mock traps, what to expect. Uh, now I'm talking with you. Tonight, I'm going to do an interview with Chase Claypool, uh, of course, the Steelers receiver who's Canadian. He's going to do his version for zone. Uh, tomorrow, I've got baseball, MLB Network. The day after that, I've been doing NHL Network, which also owns MLB Network. Right. And then Saturday, i got baseball well, and then Sunday, I'll fly. So the, the when, good do, news- when do
1: you do the movie podcast?
3: Oh, so Cinefiles, thank you for reminding me. Uh-huh. So Cinefiles, are normally tape on Tuesdays, and of course, the Oscars are on Sundays. So the good news is, you know, with podcasts, It's at home. It's loose. I've got some notes, but you know we're freestyling a little bit. In between
1: all this, are you trying to still catch up on the WWE storylines and stuff like that? A
3: hundred percent. So that's the big thing. As you know, it's not just plug and play. I mean, Al Michaels is doing Sunday Night Football. He doesn't just show up and go, all right, guys, what do we got? So uh, it's still a matter of keeping up, just going on the website, watching YouTube videos, trying to learn all the finishing moves, get the verbiage straight. Because as you said, it's a lot, but I think you have to embrace the challenge. You have to realize that You're only going to be as good as the preparation and your work ethic is.
1: Now, you mentioned you're doing MLB network, NHL network. You have raw Mm -hmm. NFL stuff and at ESPN, you did college football. Do you have one favorite sport? Yeah. Baseball has always
3: been my favorite sport. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, growing up in Eastern Ontario, it was always baseball in the summer and and hockey in the winter. So I'm grateful that I got to do baseball tonight for so many years. And when people would ask me, you know, nine years at ESPN, what was your highlight? I think probably the the number one, not that you're asking me this, but the number one day was when I filled in for Bob Lee on Outside the Lines. And then I got in the car and filled in for Oberman. When he was doing a show in New York. And I said, you know, that's a pretty tough one to pull off to say you can fill in for Bob Lee and Keith Oberman the same day. That's pretty good. But the second one would be I got to call games at Yankee Stadium, Wrigley Field, Fenway Park as as a baseball life for the fact I got to call those games and go to the World Series. That's always been my favorite. And MLB Network's been amazing. And and I should say, again, thanks to Rob McLary, my boss is there. You know, Jimmy, other companies would say, hey, listen, you're ours and this is it. The fact that they allow you to do other things, you know, Shahadi does stuff for Turner, Baskurgian works on ESPN. That's really cool that they allow us to do that.
1: Yeah. Well, listen, in this business, I mean, almost everyone has more than one job. It's I mean, you're a little over the top, but, you know, you got to do what you got to do, you know. But I mean, but, you know, obviously you had this famous dismissal from ESPN a few years ago. Did you ever think then when that was going on that you'd end up in this position? I mean, because there is this thing. I think it's not I don't think it's. It used to be where, like, you know, if you were in sports and you didn't work for ESPN or you would let go from ESPN, it's the end of the world. No yeah. one moves on. But we've seen it now over and over with, you know, Dan Patrick, Eisen, et cetera. There is life after ESPN. Yeah. Um, but you've really added a ton to the resume. So, yeah. what you know, when that happened, did you ever think you'd get to this this point? No,
3: no way. I mean, it's beyond my wildest dreams. I mean, at that point, it's just, okay, take a deep breath. Let's get through this, you know, faith, family, friends all right, how do we get through this? And I think the biggest thing is what people have told me, people who have have lost jobs and tried to bounce back, they said, you know, as cliche as it may sound, you know, ignore the setback, focus on the comeback. But the most important things are this, it's character and reputation and your actual work. So they said, you know, people, prospective employers are going to say, is this guy good or not, right? If you see him on television or on the radio or podcast, can he deliver or not? Does he have the chops? And then furthermore, everyone knows, everyone in this business, as you know, They're gonna text people, go, what kind of guy is he? Is he a good guy, bad guy, easy to work with, difficult? So I think if you have actual talent, God given talent, and you're actually a good person, treat people well, hopefully things will work out for you. But to your point, I never would have imagined six jobs two years later.
1: I I don't want to rehash what happened. Everyone knows what happened. I'm just curious. So when you look back now, do you think it was fair what ESPN did?
3: You know, it's interesting. I think at the time, obviously, it was very upsetting. And you you don't even really kind of because you're in that bubble. It's hard to be objective about it. You know, I think it was an overreaction on their part. But at the same time, you know, it's a major corporation that they're overseeing. And I understand how you know, public sentiment appeared to be on my side. And I said, well, of course it is. Like I'm the little guy from Canada and they're a big, bad, monolithic ESPN. So it's not always a fair argument where things get framed. Um, but in my view, I thought it was an overreaction. I thought it was unnecessary. But at the same time, Jimmy, all that I'm doing now is based on the nine years that I put there. Right. right. To this day, people still go, I remember that guy, ESPN guy. So I. I the 72 hours of tumultuous uh, ending, it never erases the good feelings of nine years that I had all the friends that I keep in touch with and all the great relationships. So I think in the moment, it's maybe it's kind of like a relationship ending, right? In the moment you go, I can't believe she dumped me. How could she do this to me? I'm a good guy. And then afterwards you go, Hey, you know what? It all works out for the best. And and, and I'm incredibly grateful it's worked out for the best.
1: Yeah. Well, I think too, I mean, it's been proven out. I mean, what you did, is not something that should prevent you from getting other jobs so like i i'm not you know the bounce back shouldn't be that shocking because it wasn't i mean mm-hmm. there i mean people get let go for so much worse i mean that that definitely seemed a bit over the top at the time so
3: yeah i think that's always tricky too is when people say okay you know whenever something happens okay what was the action who is the person right to your point right. you know has it's almost like um you get copper speeding all right, and then you get thrown in jail, like wait, wait, right. is this the first? wait, wait hang right. on a second, like
1: that's like, what it seemed like, yeah,
3: right. It's like how many times has this happened? Where did this happen? Let's get yeah. through this, like first offense, that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, well, and you're gonna have people like me defending you because we want people to leak stuff to us. So, like you know, <laughs> we can't really say this is a disgrace that he was leaking information, you know.
3: Well, so. well, the funniest thing is when I had people who were like, again, like they're listening on my behalf. They're like, oh, you should listen to Martian and trainer. I said, okay, I'm, I'm trying to get a job right now, but you right, can, you right, can right. send me a transcript of what Jimmy and Andrew are saying about me.
1: I right. well, what, here's what you should be. Now you should be bragging about the fact that you got the WD WWE <laughs> Monday night Raw job in February and it didn't come out till April 12th. Like, there you go. You've proven that you could, you know, there you right. go. That's all you exactly. need. Right. Look I, what this should, guy. That's what should have been leaked.
2: <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. the top line here. Yeah.
1: Um. It, it It's funny too, because I, I got laid off. I, I, you know, left SI, went to Fox sports, got laid off and luckily back. And like you said, you know, it's, once you survive those first few days, it, every it, it, it's sort of like almost anything. You know, I see this with people when they get in these Twitter controversies. Like you just you got to take 48 hours yeah. and just do nothing. And then you'll see it, you know, sort of if anyone's out there looking for like broadcasting advice, like just, you know, if then there's a when there's insanity, take two days to just relax and then you can sort of f- focus and go forward.
3: Yeah. But I think you and I are probably both sympathetic individuals, but what happens is when you go through it, you become even more empathetic. So what yeah. we've gone through in the last year, particularly sports media, you know, seeing friends lose their jobs in the business, you really feel for them, but that's why I make the effort. And I think I did before, but now right. it's especially to call and text a, Hey man, hang in there. Just get through it.
1: Yeah. Has it, w- this past year, what's it been like for you in terms of, in terms of work, um, working from home, not a problem. Don't like it. I mean, you have so many jobs. So I would imagine, you know, you got to get used to it, but that doesn't mean you like it.
3: Yeah. I, I'm uh, one of our other favorite Seinfeld that said that like, I'm just tired of seeing people's backgrounds. Like I don't, I don't care about your kids and your dogs. And you're just like, I want to see you in the studio. Like it, it's enough now. I like, can, I felt the same way. Like, especially I'm a huge talk show fan. Obviously Larry Sanders going back fictional talk show, but like when I'm watching Colbert or whatever, or Kimmel, I was like, this just isn't the same seeing them in their den right? Like I just, I'm tired of these. It was
1: cool for like two weeks. Yeah. You know, like I feel like everyone should be out of their element a little bit sometimes, but after like two weeks, yeah, it, it definitely got old
3: yeah but now i like, think to your point you have to be malleable you just have to adjust yeah. my biggest fear is with all these kids running around someone's gonna make some noise that's always my thing i'm like oh how unprofessional is that gonna look but to your point some people are gonna go oh, it's, it's uh, it makes us get a little more like <laughs> a bunch of kids running around with moisture. Like,
1: yeah, to... listen that's life you know what i'm thinking it just hit me now I, I i'm an idiot for not realizing this too like you still haven't called an event wwe you've only done it two weeks but no fans yeah, that's going to be, oh that is going to be an experience and a half when you finally get to do it raw with fans in the stands. That's like
3: you tell people, man. I go, listen, yeah. this is all great fodder for the book. Like chapter seven, WWE, like the first time I'm calling raw with fans there, it's going to yeah. be electric. I can't even imagine.
1: Then you then forget Twitter. You'll get it like right up, right in your face. Don't <laughs> tell me fan. how much I sucked to yeah. my face. Exactly. I'm like, okay. Well, it's that's a, the thing. No, that's the thing though. No one will say it to your face. So, you know, oh, well, yeah, wrestling yeah. fans might, they might be the one group who, you know. Well, the thing is though, you know,
3: you have to have a sense of humor about it. Like it's, it's the old axiom, right? Take, take your work seriously. Don't take yourself seriously. And like, I think, you know, Joe Buck is a great example of somebody who's always great with Twitter. Like, yeah, I'm just cheering against your team. Like, yeah, that's exactly what this is about.
1: Have you gotten, I mean, listen, like I said, it's only been two weeks, but have you gotten to know any of the WWE superstars a little bit? I'm sure you've probably just had maybe, I don't know if you've had more than just brief conversations, but I mean, you know, I have them on this podcast when I can, because it's a fascinating lifestyle. Oh, yeah. And, and life It's just, you know, like a guy like Roman Reigns, who I've had on a bunch. I mean, when he comes on, he's one of the greatest guys. And you know, he was on one time about how much you love Seinfeld. Like you don't get any of that when you're watching WWE program. You could with Roman Reigns. He's you I know. He's to like him about down, shrinkage.
3: Yeah. Okay. That's good. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> so um, but they're they're, you know, fascinating people and what obviously what they do, no one else in the world does. So from that standpoint, it's, you know, they're very unique.
3: Oh, it's amazing, Jimmy. And you know it because you're a fan of it. But like when I first went there for the audition, I was like, the athleticism is incredible. Like it's, I I, and and I'm watching it. It's like, again, like in a movie, like you're watching... People behind the scenes, it's so well orchestrated. It's so smart to go, okay, I'm going to try this flip and this suplex and this here. I'm like that. Like anybody who can't appreciate this clearly is lost. Unless you see it up close and personal, I would recommend anyone, once we can actually go back to a live show, when you see it, you go, this is so intricate. But to your point, I've met them backstage, kind of this like cursory conversations, but everyone's really friendly, very welcoming. Big E, I was so happy when I met him. He was like, hey, howdy. I'm like, hey, he's like, oh, I used to watch him in college football all the time. I'm like,
2: oh, thanks. To your point, well, a lot thinking, of them you know, are big watching. sports fans. Yeah. Right. So all these Robert guys Rains
1: played why. in college. Yeah.
3: Right. Yeah, exactly. So that's a yeah. pretty fun background as well.
2: Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hey, everyone. This is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff, How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts.
3: It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting
0: what exactly are the duties of being a member of the wedding party?
3: All that plus so much more.
0: Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Grown up stuff. Um, all right, let's switch gears to the movie. So, you know. I didn't want to just have you on for raw. I knew you could talk about other sports and the movies thing. And then I was like, you know, I'm a little embarrassed to tell you this. You haven't seen any of the Oscar nominees. Forget the Oscar nominees. I've seen I think two movies in twenty <laughs> since in the past year. I That's saw Borat, and Great. Coming to America too. I'm I'm a comedy drama guy. I don't sure. do sci fi. I don't do the Star Wars and the Lord of the Rings and all that stuff, give me uh, comedy or drama with some <laughs> realism mixed in. So the only two movies I've seen this year are Borat and Coming to America. So let's start with that. Give sure. me your review of both of those.
3: I thought Borat was fascinating. And I said on my podcast, Cinefile, which as you mentioned, was previously on Cadence 13 and now with Metal Arc Media, which is the Dan Levitt. By the, the way, Elizabeth not company. to
1: interrupt, but you mentioned yeah. backgrounds before. If anyone's watching this on YouTube, your background yeah. is phenomenal. You don't have the fake bookshelves <laughs> with all the bullshit books <laughs> that nobody reads. You've got one poster, and right. it's it's your cinephile, but from ESPN, they fired you. You got to rip that down. What <laughs> I are you know, doing?
3: I, I'm gonna have somehow figured a way just to get a magic marker. Yeah, just fuck really up the kidding. ESPN thing.
1: Come on, what the hell?
3: Amateur hour here. This yeah, is seriously. actually a point about a guy. This home setup, um, but I all thought right. all, yeah, I thought it was amazing, Jimmy. And I, I tell people, I go, that guy, Sasha Baron Cohen, is like Daniel Day-Lewis. Genius. Okay, that's method. That's method acting like he literally when he is staying at those guys houses that was in character for a week. This isn't a couple of takes. All right, cut. Let's regroup. He is like that all the time. I, I don't care if you like his politics. I don't care if you like the movie or appreciate his messaging. It's remarkable work he's doing. I wish he was up for best actor. I'm glad the film is at least received recognition. Maria Bacalova is up for supporting actress. Right. She might win. I don't think she will. I think they're up for screenplay. They might win. But I, I honestly, I go, this guy should win an Academy Award. It's
1: remarkable the effort he, he does. He really should have been nominated for the first one. The f- yeah. I, I loved the second one, too. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. The first one is really remarkable, what he yeah. did, I thought. You know, the second one, he's got some experience with it. Little, but um,
3: but if you watch a lot of movies, like someone like I do, what you care for more than anything is originality. You want to see something fresh. When Siskel and Ebert first raved about Fargo and I was in college watching, they kept saying, I've never seen a movie like Fargo. It is to your point. It's a comedy. It's, it's a crime film. It's a drama. It's a hearkening to past films, et cetera. So it's like a movie film festival. With Borat, the first one, it was so audacious. It's very rare to say, I've never seen anything like this before. And again, as Larry Sanders, yeah. guys, Shandling was a big influence on Sasha Baron Cohen. He said Shandling was unbelievable in terms of helping him I know
1: that, Interesting. that line.
3: Yeah. Wow. yeah, if you watch the uh, the documentary that Apatow did on Shandling, Sasha Baron Cohen is in there and he goes, Gary would send me notes in the first Borat. It was amazing. I did not know that. That's unbelievable. And he said, he goes, so growing up in England, he goes, there's BBC One, which right. was like EastEnders, these classic shows. He goes, BBC Two was the more avant-garde shows and that's where the Larry Sanders show was. And he goes, and me and my buddies all said, this is
1: the best show on TV. So it really inspired it well I I was a huge fan of Sacha Baron Cohen from the Ali G show on HBO and I remember watching that now I don't know did you watch that when it was on originally on I did HBO? not when it was originally it was like that. Friday or Saturday nights at like 11 o'clock or midnight and I remember watching it and the, you know this was before Twitter so I missed that feeling too like I would be watching going this is anyone else does does anyone see what's going on here like what is anyone else seeing the show this is the most unbelievable thing i've ever seen it's like the meteor which nobody else is paying attention yeah that's what it felt it felt like that's how i i I was blown away and you know it'd go from ali g to to borat to bruno and it was unlike anything i had ever seen before and so when i i knew borat would be good just based off that i had no doubt and You know you don't want to do that sometimes because things don't live up to the hype that obviously exceeded the hype
3: oh yeah and the funniest is when you actually see him in interviews he's so eloquent and articulate and passionate you go wow You know, it takes an intelligent person to play the fool, right? Yeah. You, you can't go the other way around, but he can really dive into it.
1: Before coming to America, you mentioned them. So I'm just curious, were you, were you, because you're so into movies, were you a big Siskel and Ebert guy? Were there a big oh influence my God. You I, I, it's, it...
3: it's, When people ask me my favorite TV shows, I'll start listing through Kirby Enthusiasm, Larry Sanders' show, The Sopranos, Homicide Life in the Street, Siskel and Ebert. They go, wait, why I go? That's one of the greatest television shows ever. And you know this in the media beat. Are You, you can't throw a stone five minutes and go, that show's influenced by Siskel and Ebert. Crossfire, first take. Right. First things first. It's all Cisco neighbor. One guy's arguing here. I, I go back and watch old clips sometimes. If you watch them arguing about the doors, it's amazing. And it, it, it forms so much of my education as a, as a cinematic fan because they were so passionate. And you could honestly see both sides of the argument. And when they really agreed, like do the right thing, yeah. hoop dreams like they they were champions for films like
1: that. So it's funny you say that I went, I did, I went back into the rabbit hole and watched a bunch of them, a couple of, you know when I did? I did it when coming to America came out because yeah. I wanted to see their review of the first one. Yeah. One liked it and one didn't. And then I watched a, a bunch of their reviews. Uh, you know, I'm a big Howard Stern guy. So I watched their review of private parts, which was sure. fascinating to see. They,
3: they love Giamatti, right? I think they nailed the fact that this pig vomit yes. guy's great. And yes. had become And no a one, one knew who star. he
1: was at the time. Correct. Yeah. 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 Um, and they had high praise for, you know, I always, I knew them, you know, I watched their show, but also they were great guests on Howard's show. So that I I, I was curious to see what their review would be because back then everyone was repulsed by Howard who was in the media (laughs) and they loved them. So that sort of, I was intrigued by that. Um, and yeah, like that show was for that time was really, really, uh, groundbreaking and, you know, all about chemistry, all about right, chemistry. Right,
3: it's hugely influential. And the fact that like they're literally, I mean, the, the catchphrase is still remember, the balcony is closed. The fact that two thumbs up took off and some people like despise them among film criticism because they said, listen, we're used to these long form elaborate pieces from Pauline Kael and Andrew Sarris. And now it's being reduced to two thumbs up. Like we are right. dumbing down society. It's kind of <laughs> like the way, the way Twitter has done this. Now you go, right. that's what I do with Cinephile. It's like, I, I am elaborate. I want to be as garrulous as possible talking about these reviews. I don't want 12 seconds. I don't want Rotten Tomatoes to give you 83%. That means it's good. So I think Cisco Neighbor, they were unfairly criticized. If you read Ebert's print reviews, they were amazing. Like he can go, you know, he'll let you 10,000 words yeah, on yeah. Taxi Driver yeah. and it's really, really exceptionally well written. But their chemistry, to your point, off the air, not always close friends like there's a great documentary on Roger Ebert which they call cut and they start sniping at each oh, yeah. other you keep screwing this up you keep doing this and i was like all right so it it was genuinely animosity was there as well
1: there's great outtakes of them on youtube oh, if, if yeah if so you're listening mad. and haven't seen it yeah <laughs> so coming to america too what was uh so high expectations, like that, all of us. I think and then we're going to be it, on the same page. <laughs> and yeah. then you
3: see it and you go, okay. And, and then I was lucky enough, you know, I got to see the screener ahead of time because I interviewed, I interviewed Louie Anderson, who, by the way, was great. He was on the podcast, a wonderful mm. guy, really salt of the earth. And um, he's in it nearly enough for my liking. But anyways, when they, you know this, when they give you a screener and they give you a couple interviews, you go, okay, well, human nature, you don't want to crush the thing now. They did give me 20 minutes of Louie Anderson. And then I watched the movie and I go, all right, all the best jokes are the rehashes and retreads of the original. So anytime a sequel comes out, the key is you have to have the DNA of the original, but then extend it and add in new information. And I thought the, the, the callbacks, the barbershop scenes, of course, incredible. We could have a whole movie of that. There's a movie called Barbershop inspired by what Eddie Murphy did. But I thought the new material wasn't enough to carry it. It felt a little softened and diluted
1: like we just became best friends (laughs) just in this moment right here because what happened was i got the i mean i was waiting for this movie i think eddie is the funniest person of my lifetime yeah i was waiting for this movie obviously the first one's one of my you know favorites of all time yeah and i got a screener i did a giveaway in my column in train of thoughts (laughs) Watched the movie and was like oh boy and i couldn't tweet about it which you know in this day and age, is like, you know, not being able to breathe. Right. Here's my, uh, here's what bummed me out the most. I felt like Eddie was barely in it. Yeah. He was not what are the you star doing? The
3: He should be in every scene. Right. He was like a small supporting member of the movie. What? Yeah. What? I I'm couldn't like, believe it. Yeah. And like I get the fact that, oh, let's get the gang back together again. We want all the people there. But yeah, like John Amos is barely in it then. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, I. And yeah, I guess it's way falls too much of the, to the
1: sun, way too right. much of the sun.
3: And I think Eddie, here's the other part of it too. Apparently, they had like whatever, seven different scripts over the last 30 years. I wanted to say, can I see the other six scripts? Like, this is the one that you know what took a long time, but now, oh, man, like I, I'm a little surprised. To your point about when you see it and you're cautious about what to say, uh, Owen Gleiberman, the great critic for Entertainment Weekly and now Variety, he tells a story about Ben Affleck. He goes, you know, Affleck, if you meet him, he's a very charming, disarming guy. But I had to be honest about his reviews. So he goes, you know, I'd meet him, we'd be talking, and he would be like, man, you really crushed Daredevil, huh? Goes, <laughs> <laughs> you really hated Geely, huh? Yeah. And he goes, like, these guys are reading it. But to yeah. Affleck's credit, he knew. He just, yeah. like, and Clyburn was like, I got to do it, man. And he goes, and when Argo was made, I said, Ben, this is you. You're such a smart guy. You're a great director. Yeah. Acting, you weren't getting good roles. But that's funny. I, I just imagine if you and I meet Eddie Murphy one day, and he goes, oh, yeah, so I heard what you said about the sequel.
1: Um Give. I'm, a, I'm slightly distracted because I just saw a tweet that uh, New York has officially now signed the bill that will bring mobile sports betting to New York. So I want to jump out of my chair and start celebrating. I, but I'm, I'm going to try say, to I've keep heard, it professional.
3: I, I, listen, bad beats. You and Van Pelt, I heard yeah. it. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um. Besides Godfather 2, what, since we're talking about coming to America, what's the best sure. sequel of all time? You can't say The Godfather 2, though. That's
3: about to say, because that is the correct answer. You know, right, I, think, I think Empire Strikes Back is pretty good. You know, I think they actually did a really good job with that in terms of you know, trying to have the elements of the first one but a little bit darker and go in a different direction. You know, it's really hard, especially with comedies. Like I find, I think Back to the Future 2 I actually think is reasonable. I don't think it's as good as the first one, but I think it has good elements of science fiction and still elements of the love in the story. But it's oftentimes, we just focus on the negative ones. Like, you know, Fletch Lives, I guess is all right. Caddyshack 2 is memorably awful. Like it's a very short list. It's Godfather 2, yeah. Empire Strikes Back, Back to the Future 2, that's about it.
1: I'd give, you, I'd give you a sequel I like, but you'd probably hang up the Zoom too, <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer, love it, dancing on the ladder. Great, well, listen, if med.
3: <laughs> if that's your rationale, <laughs> Jimmy, then I can accept it. If you're actually it. trying to describe the cinematography and the storytelling, I'm like no, 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 no Michelle Pfeiffer, no. I'm in. Yeah. Well, that was like meds, oh, you gotta
1: look me. you gotta look up Cole oh, Ryder. Oh my god, that movie was so uh, we
3: gotta I, I think it's Roger Ebert's review of Michelle Pfeiffer in The Fabulous Baker Boys. It is. You gotta look it up. I'm I'm messing it up, but the first couple okay. lines were Michelle Pfeiffer in a tight red slinky dress dances on a piano. The rest of the movie is also quite good. It, it's one of the most famous Roger would ever.
1: not get away with that review <laughs> in 2021, that's for no, sure. There's no way. Um, give me I don't the Oscars are Sunday. I don't yeah. care about what's nominated. Give me sure. your th- give me three movies in the past year that anyone listening to this podcast needs to watch.
3: I'm glad you said that because I get confused. People say the Oscars Sunday. What should I watch? And I say, OK, do you want me to tell you what's going to win? No, or do you want I to don't say what I think it? is good. What yeah. you
1: think. Th- yeah. yeah.
3: So Sound of Metal, I think, is remarkable. You've got to see it. Okay. Uh, it stars Riz Ahmed. He's an incredible actor. He was in the show the night of, as you said, as a TV guy. I'm sure you saw the HBO limited series, John Turturro. Originally, our boy Gandolfini was going to do it. He passed away. Turturro comes in. Riz is amazing. He plays a heavy metal drummer who suddenly loses his hearing. And uh, I don't think there's a lot of great films about being hearing impaired, what that's like remarkable performance you know he learned sign language got into that world it's very very immersive since you're a comedy guy there's a great comedy called The Climb and I loved it and I interviewed the actor Michelangelo Cavino who wrote directed and starred in it this is going to turn you off but bear with me it's mm. almost like a comedy done with a european sensibility i don't I mean, mind that i don't yeah, mind that it's almost got like this kind of french aesthetic to it and it's got these incredibly long takes we love Goodfellas. The most famous uh, tracking shot ever is, of course, the Copa shot. There's about eight or takes in this movie. I, I talked to the guys, interviewed him and Kyle Marvin. I go, it was like seven minute shots. You don't see that in a comedy, such exquisite attention to detail in terms of a long tracking shot. And they go, we wanted the comedy to stay in the frame. And we felt it worked." the LA times, forget me, LA times call it possibly the greatest bromance movie of all time. So check out the climb. If you're a comedy guy, mm. I think you'll really enjoy that. And um you know, I also really liked uh, Palm Springs. I thought it was really good comedy with Andy Samberg on Hulu, but I would go with Nomadland. Uh, that's going to win Best Picture this weekend. It's with Francis McDormand. I thought it was excellent. High quality. Yeah.
1: The Oscars, you know, there's this thing going on with award shows where basically no one's watching them anymore. It's kind of yeah. crazy. Um, and I don't know how, I, you know, I feel bad for them this year. I mean, after what we've gone through the past year, no movie theaters open. Um, What's the situation now? A movie now? Do you have you been going to the have you gone to a movie theater since vaccinated or before? You- I did,
3: yeah. So what happened was, I remember when everything the world fell apart. I said to my wife, "This shows you how sick I am." I said, "I gotta get to the theater." She said, "What?" I said, yeah, I gotta go. So
1: before COVID, how often would you go to the theater?
3: So I probably go like, listen, in my heyday, pre kids, I mean, it was you know every week, twice a week, three times a week. Now wow. I would say probably uh, with, with kids and everything, probably once a week, maybe every other week. So with screeners, it's a big help. And you can say, okay, this is on Netflix, Hulu, et cetera. The studios will send you stuff. Once I got into the uh, Broadcast Film Critics Association, that was a game changer once they send you stuff. But as you know, you only get sent stuff during award season. So that's only, generally speaking, September to December. So if I want to see a movie tomorrow, I go pay my $14 to AMC and Paramus, and I go check it out in North Jersey. So... Uh when everything was happening, I said to my wife, I gotta get to the theater, she goes, Why go, they're gonna shut them down? So the way back with Ben Affleck was the last movie I saw pre-pandemic. Didn't see a movie in theaters for four months, which is as long as it's been in 40 years. But once we were back, and to be safe, and I mean again, I'm like you, I take it seriously. I had the mask on the whole time. I watched Tenet, Christopher Nolan's movie, which to be honest, I waited four months for a movie, would have liked a better film. It was not one of Christopher Nolan's best films. But I'm still trying to go. I'll take my kids a little. I took them to see Crude's two. Uh-huh. I mean, they love going, popcorn, slushy, all that kind of stuff. But thankfully in Jersey, we've opened
1: up. You know it'd be great. You, you know, you should. I don't want to like tell you what to do, but Good now place. that you got the Monday Night Raw gig, yeah, it would be great if you went back and reviewed some of the famous. There's a couple of famous wrestling mo- documentaries. Well, if you, want, there's beyond the beyond that, yeah. The Why, Bret Hart the Shadows, the, but the Bret yeah. Hart one. I forgot something. Shadows, sure. Even Excellence the movie, the movie, the wrestler. I'm sure you watch with um, Aronofsky. Yeah, Mickey Rourke. What do you think of that? remarkable
3: I, I remember i saw the, the toronto film festival i saw it with my boss at the time and i just thought it was so brave and convincing and just immersive and movies like that they generally give you an out right at the end there's gonna be some sort of redemption yeah thing. yeah but that scene with marissa tomei and him at the back i thought it was so powerfully right when she says you know i'm here i'm really here and he goes you see that that's where i live like his 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 only glory is when he finds he's in the ring and it's incredibly despairing and depressing but i thought it was really authentic he yeah, was remarkable yeah. in it
1: so Sunday night, you'll watch the Oscars, and then Monday night, you'll call Raw. What a That's a fascinating combination for someone, I must say. People tell it's me, they go,
3: what is this? Movies and sports? I said, "It must be some sort of fascination with escapism, right? I must just be so miserable within my own skin. I go, okay, I've got to get out of me and go look at the movies and the sports. But you're right. that There's not many who can pull off that kind of double. Yeah.
1: And it's, I, have you talked at all with um, Pat McAfee? Because he's obviously just coming yeah. into this now, and it's- you know, sort of you guys, you two are the newbies together.
3: Yeah. So Pat and I were together at the Zone briefly, and uh, I was on his radio show a couple of times. And he's great. Funny guy. I haven't reached out yet, but I've been meaning to. We're, we're mutual friends with Michael Lombardi. Mike and I do the GM Shuffle together NFL right. podcast. So I, I tweeted with each other back and forth. How ridiculous is that, by the way? In the past, you could say I called him. Now you can say we tweeted with each other. We hope to have a conversation at some point. Yeah.
1: That's pretty much how it goes. I thought pretty Pat was great,
3: though. I don't know if you watched it, but he's he's such a natural showman. I mean, he's I, amazing.
1: I I watched uh, about a half an hour, and I thought he was really good. Oh, he was really good. I mean, for that, for, you know, for his first time, and you know, yeah. I think, you know, I talked about this with Edge. You said you listened to it. I think
3: yeah. um, seventy-two books and a big hockey guy.
1: Yeah, big hockey. But I I'm a believer. I don't know where the WWE stance is these days on. I'm a big believer that you need not a little, I think you need a lot of humor on Raw and SmackDown. I mean, that's what got me into it in the you know, like you mentioned Heenan. I remember watching Prime Time, which was this old show in the eighties. It's probably the greatest wrestling show of all <laughs> time. And I watched it, it would be Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan in studio, and then they would cut to matches. I would be livid when they cut to the matches. I wanted Bobby and gorilla. So, you know, the humor for me is always, you know, I've always like a guy like Bill Goldberg and Brock Lesnar. I have zero like they do nothing for me. They don't yeah. talk. They're not. You know, I the reason why the rock is like, you know, my favorite person of all time. Yeah. Give me some humor. So um, so I think McAfee will fit in very oh. well in that role. Yeah, it's sports entertainment.
3: I right. completely agree with you. If you're not having fun, you're doing something wrong. You should feel yeah. like you're trying to sell the sizzle. It's not just hyperbole, but you have to be able to have that certain element of panache. I used to always say that about ESPN. I said it's entertainment and sports programming network. You've got to have that element, especially in today's world, to be right. able to try to cut through.
1: The problem with that, I find, and I know you probably got to get going, but this is a whole other topic. But I, <laughs> I personally, I think it's really, really hard to do humor in sports. Yeah. I would say 95% of the time, it's a complete disaster. (laughs) So wait, you were not a fan of Dennis
3: Miller on Monday night football.
1: I mean, that was so long ago that I don't even really remember it. I probably would have liked it just from the train wreck aspect of it. Cause I, (laughs) you know, I'm down with that too. Um, But when, when traditional sports companies try to be funny, yeah, it's a very, very fine line there. It, you know. I guess
3: it depends. Is it live event or is it studio? I well, got- here's the
1: thing. That and I, yeah. I'm a guy. I'm more into the dry. Like I love Van Pelt because it's a dry yeah. humor. Right. Um, you know, the, a lot of it is sort of like over the top or yeah, obvious humor. And then it's like, eh, you know, like, like even like like, like the jokes last like Tuesday night. Then you know everyone was outraged about the Raiders tweet, and then people were like. Trying to like, of course, dunk on it and then try to be funny about it. And it's like you're all saying the same thing. There's not, you know. Yeah. Hard to do sports humor, I think.
3: Well, I knew that, especially with Sports Center, like it went from an era of everyone had a catchphrase, like, you know, the right. Haiti of the 90s. I mean, I adored Oberman, obviously, Patrick, um, you know, all those guys, Stu, Rich Eisen. And then when I was there, it was almost like, hey, listen, you'll actually stand out if you don't do that. If you're actually a legit sports fan who's knowledgeable yeah. and insightful, that will do better for you than if you've got a one liner every 10 seconds. Like, that's why I think a guy like Steve Levy is so great. Leaves, I mean, he's a friend, I'm biased, but I just think he's always just been a great, passionate broadcaster. Yeah. Well,
1: the one liners are good if they're, if they're different, you know. And, yeah. and you, you know, I mean, you could probably do, all, you could probably drop so many movie references into a oh. Monday Night Raw. It would be, you know. I've, I've done a handful
3: so far. Yeah. So the people are keeping track of it. you're like, all right, million dollar baby. I heard make him an offer. You don't refuse. Right, you don't right, right. You. I'm like I'll get Hay yeah. hey now in next week for us. We'll get Larry hey, Sanders. All in. right. Hay <laughs>
1: would be great. I love Hay now <laughs> or Hank. Poor Hank. So
3: I'd say Hank. I mean, ugh, God, they, the, it, Hank's night in the sun. I don't know if you watch that one again, but go back. He gets to fill in for Larry because he's sick. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. one of the greatest episodes ever because he gets a big hat. He's delusional and he gets wrapped right, right, right down the sides. The roast is an amazing episode where Larry's getting destroyed. That's season five. The book is a great episode, season five. I hope anyone listening to this goes back and watches some of the Larry Sanders show and Sopranos' favorite episode. I don't know actually your favorite episode. I'm going to say long term
1: parking. Go ahead. Uh, mine is Whitecaps. Yeah, white. I mean, so I know the, everyone says Pine Barrens. That the, the scene in Whitecaps with Tony and Carmel, I think, is the greatest scene I've ever seen on TV.
3: When he punches the wall, you know, in Seppenwall's book, which I'm sure you've read, it was a great read. Him and uh, I can't remember that right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt Solar cites yeah. they they refer to that. They go, "That's like uh, Richard Burton and um, Elizabeth Taylor." Like that's like who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, yeah. but it'd be who's afraid of these two mooks? Like that's yeah. like the Italian version of that. It's just. Two co- yeah. like a couple just being frayed apart the rawness of that the, the honesty the, of that. The, the scene I've when, dreamed about
1: Furio every the, night it, like, but there was a scene before that when she, she throws she the stuff call out from the, the Russian
3: yeah 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 I've been sleeping with and Tony. he
1: comes home she's throwing his stuff out the window he yeah, comes yeah. home yeah and they fight and she just breaks down and yeah it, it was th- those two scenes you know but Pine Barrens is just I mean <laughs> What can <laughs> you even say at this point about Pine barrel? You know what? Here's what blew me away. Okay, the best life pilot is interior decorator. And then Chris goes, this house looked like shit. Right. <laughs> what blew me away when I had them on was I believe they said not one word of the Sopranos was ever improvised. Every yeah. word written. So even that scene where they're in the van towards the end and they're eating the ketchup. Yeah. And. Holly says, try it with the relish. Like someone wrote that line. You would think that's all, you know, we're just two assholes in the woods. Like all that. Just every word written in that episode, which is which is really um, you know, amazing.
3: Yeah. I mean, David Chase, I I don't know if you've ever talked to him, but God, he's got stories for days. I mean, the way that he's especially with your background, being Italian, like I mean, you could appreciate what he was going through, all that kind of stuff, putting all that. I I
1: related to way too much of that show. (laughs) Way too much. Um, well, let's wrap with this. What the Sopranos movie. Do you have high yeah. expectations, or what are you? I'm a little bit concerned, just
3: because again, as we've discussed with sequels, whenever there's time separating, it's hard to recapture that DNA. And so much of the show, and I watched a lot during the pandemic, like everyone else, was that Gandolfini was such an integral part of it. Now, yeah. it's interesting what Chase said. Tom Fontana, who I love, whenever and I don't want to upset people, but the wire, the wire, okay. What I tell you, I go. Homicide: Life on the Street is the show that I love. The Baltimore cop show that David Simon did before The Wire. Mm-hmm. Tom Fontana is the guy who did that. You know him mm-hmm. from St. Elsewhere and Oz, which is one of the great shows ever. He said Fontana gave Chase the idea because he was like, "Listen, I don't want to do a movie. Everyone's on my butt to do a movie." And he goes, well, "Why don't you do something about like Junior, like when they were kids? Because that might be kind of interesting." And that's where, to someone like David Chase, he goes, "Okay, that is new terrain that I can develop." But if you're a Sopranos right. fan, you know that world. What I do find fascinating is at least Gandolfini's son's going to be in it. That's always interesting. I mean, that yeah. scares me as yeah. a Godfather guy. God I just think of Godfather three and Sophia Coppola. Like whenever you have family ties, you're never sure it's going to work, but hopefully the kid looks like his dad has that. The key is this. You've still got the principals involved. If David chase was not involved, it was different directors, et cetera, then I get worried. But if it's the same crew, I hopefully it'll be all right. The many saints of Newark. Good time. Yep. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, <sighs>
1: That cast was so iconic to have a movie without Ugh. that cast. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah. all right, I didn't do it at the top. I'm going to try to do it now and wrap up with all your jobs. WWE, Monday Night Raw, Monday Night's USA Network. Yep. That's the big one right now. MLB Network, NHL Network, DAZN, which I always call DAZN, but I'm trying to be respectful. I'm calling it DAZN because you're on. Cinephile without nonverk. Now, wh- when does that go to the Levitard? Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, it's going to be soon I think it's I mean, within a week or two We're going to go oh, okay. over To the Metal Ark Network So yeah It's going to be back, back With John and Dan
1: And then GM Shuffle With Mike Lombardi Got yeah. it all
3: Yeah dude you nailed it
1: I don't know how you had time To do this <laughs> <laughs>
3: I just wanted to give you my feedback. I was like, hey, I've listened to so many episodes. I could get your Amazing. email, but I just want to tell you what I think.
1: Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate you listening, and I appreciate you I appreciate you more listening than coming on. I, that, that means a lot, <laughs> but thank you for coming on as well.
3: Well, whenever I would hear you, every episode, say, hey, please subscribe, rate, and review. Okay. That's like yeah. me, like imploring people. This is how we keep oh, things going. It's so going. gross
1: that you have to do it, but you have to do it.
3: <laughs> and even like you'll do the previous episodes. Deitz is the same thing. I can't yeah, yeah. humiliate myself. Previous yeah. episodes included this. He was great. Yep. Last question for you. When Eisen yeah, yeah. said to you, this is before Curl. Yeah he mm-hmm. said because he had seen them all right and he goes yeah, yeah. jimmy there's one episode in particular it's going to be iconic which one do you think he was referring to
1: Did i you know i think he talked about i think it was probably the the stupid hat, the uh, okay. Make America Great Again hat.
3: Oh, okay. No, no, because you said him, there's going to be a Trump joke for sure. Yeah. I'm yeah, g- yeah. And you go, I predicted yeah. it. And you tweeted it. And you go, See, I told you. I called it. Yeah. But he said he was Jimmy, I've seen all the episodes. There's one episode in particular that I think is going to be iconic, like yeah. Palestinian chicken type level. I don't know what episode he the meant. Two,
1: uh, yeah, because the, for me, the episode with the MAGA hat was iconic. And the, <laughs> the, then there was the one where people thought Jeff was. Jeff, was um. <laughs> Tommy that was the best laugh of the year. Oh, my God. When she was looks like was you son of a yeah. bitch. Like, like, oh, yeah. my God. Was- now, one thing, now, one thing I'm a little disappointed in, um, Kyle Brandt from Good Morning Football had Jeff Garland on his Ringer podcast this week. Yeah. And Jeff said they only do COVID stuff in like the first episode of the new season. It's not like a whole season uh, of COVID, which, listen, I, I don't blame them for not wanting to do a whole season of COVID. They want to do, you know, Larry Shtick. Sure. But the COVID, I think, is just a, what he said is just, I think, in the first episode. So, okay, that's I had high hopes for like Larry, like with the six feet apart and the hand sanitizer and the masks and the, you know.
3: <laughs> well, he was on, I think there's an article in the New York Times in which I think Cheryl Hines is some of the effect of Larry's been social distancing for years. Right. And like, <laughs> it was a great line uh, and even the even the pictures of him like he's, he's yeah. sitting in the house waving
1: like this it's such a classic i was hoping for there. a whole season of you know covid curb but we're not getting it but that's by the way okay.
3: uh, another underrated part of the most recent season i thought richard lewis who i just adore i mean i love his 80s yeah, comedy, yeah, 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 i yeah. thought lewis when he was doing flowers for algernon that was one of the funniest things ever the look on vince fawn's face when he starts laughing when lewis does the impression yeah. amazing
1: richard lewis has always been phenomenal on that oh, show.
3: god right. he's
1: the adjective all right. Take it easy and uh, be careful with that announce table. You never know who's going to come <laughs> flying through. it think I'm going to networked <laughs> the next night. And, and, you know,
3: that was the big thing I was wondering. All my friends are like, what if you take a steel chair across the back? I'm like, well, I'm going to be talking about the Yankees slump. Well, that's not going to look good.
1: Forget the steel chair. I mean, because that would be part of you would right. know that's coming. I'm talking about, right. you know, they yeah, come, sure. they throw the TVs. That's another, I've mm-hmm. always wanted to do a thing about like I would love to know how much money the WWE spends on those monitors per year <laughs> that get thrown <laughs> oh. when someone's going through the table. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. It's a good,
3: right. I was watching the movie Bugsy again. I was Now I'm, I'm staying too long. The movie yeah. Bugsy. Remember uh, Joe Mantegna plays the actor and he, he tells Warren B to come visit him and he starts hitting guys and he goes, hey, Benny, you want to hit someone that's what i feel like i want to be like hey can i just do this once let me just try it i'm sure
2: eventually it'll
1: happen (laughs) it'll happen fingers crossed stay safe thanks for coming on i appreciate it thank you jimmy i appreciate it all right take care all right my thanks to adnan verk for the very very fun conversation enjoyed it thoroughly hopefully you guys did too if you liked it give a subscribe to the si media podcast helps tremendously and uh, if you missed any recent episodes that you want to check out, or if you're new to listening to the podcast, if you're a gambling person, we had Todd Furman on last week to talk about a bunch of things related to sports betting, sports media columnist for the New York post, Andrew Marchand, two weeks ago, WWE superstar edge, three weeks ago, Scott Van Pelt, four weeks ago, all recent interviews right here on the SI media podcast. So give them a listen, subscribe, rate and review. All right. Again, thanks. i Burke. Thank you to thank you. Thanks to you for listening. And we will see you next week right here on the SI Media Podcast. Stay safe and take care.
0: MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level.